So, big week. We're recording on the uh, 20th of January, which is a Friday. It is almost nine in the morning my time, which means we have two and a half hours. And that's all I'm going to say. Until what? (sighs) Until things change, Mike. Until things change. What's changing? Inauguration, 1130. Oh. I've been drunk for three days. I'm not drunk I enough. was thinking about you. Like, mm-hmm. I thought something was changing with you. Yeah, I'm going to shave. Yeah, we're, we're doing it again, right? We're, like, <laughs> we're recording right on before. the eve yeah, yeah. of mm-hmm. Trumpdom. Yeah, do, do, do you remember Rocketeer when they were at the... Well, so, spoiler alert. Um, if, we, if we remember, we'll put a chapter in, but no promises. This will be very quick, though. Uh, do you remember at the end, they go up to the um, Griffiths Observatory, and uh, that this is where they're doing the big handover of the rocket pack, mm-hmm. and that's when the big reveal happens that uh, Sinclair is a Nazi, right? You remember all this? Yeah. And, and all the Nazis yeah, just come out Yeah, the film out of, got super weird for it, a moment. It, it like, did get a little really weird. Really strange. Well, anyway, so all of a sudden, all these uh, Nazis come out of the woodwork when uh, previously British uh, Timothy Dalton becomes German. Well, I, I'm almost wondering if that's going to be Washington, oh, D.C. <laughs> with, like, oh, but not with Nazis, with Russians. <laughs> with Russians. Well, maybe. Could be either or. We'll see. Anyway, uh, so let's do some follow-up. Uh, tell me about the Concord. Uh, um. We recorded an episode of Ungenious about Concord. So we were talking about Concord and Analog last time. Stephen realized how much uh, I loved Concord and then suggested it as an Ungenious topic. So we went into a bit more depth about the Concord program um, than I was able to cover here just based on my memory. So if you enjoyed that conversation last week, um, go and check out uh, episode 17 of Ungenious, where you can hear us uh, wax lyrical about the program. Yeah, we talked about Ungenious at some point recently, right? I had a th- I had thought it was going to be like another hour-long program, and I didn't have time for it. And it turns out mm-hmm. this one, this particular episode was particularly long at like 17 minutes or so. So uh, I can't stress enough, it's a great show, and uh, this you. episode in particular, as, as, as a kind of nerdy fellow, I don't know if you were aware of that, Mike, but uh, I'm mm-hmm. a bit of a nerd, and this particular episode was very good, and I really enjoyed it. So definitely check that out. I mentioned also on the last episode a place that that I had seen a Concord in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, this was at what was then called the Duxford Air Museum, um, and Duxford is like a it's like an uh, an air base kind of thing, like a runway type scenario, mm-hmm. um, like a not like an airport, right? Like you know, like there isn't like British Airways flights going from there, but it's it's probably those military stuff, and it has like private flight, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to get a commercial flight from there, I don't know. But it's not like a Heathrow kind of thing or like a Dulles or whatever. It's not like one of those. Um, this is now a branch of the Imperial War Museum, which was something else that I mentioned on the last episode. Uh, the Imper- I've also kind of discovered that the Imperial War Museum has a bunch of different sites opposed to just like the standard museum in London. And then they have other things, uh, something called the Churchill War Rooms, which I didn't know oh, was owned by yeah. the IWM, which is an incredible exhibit type interactive thing that you should do if you're ever in London. Uh, but what, they also the, the Churchill War Rooms? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would like to not only double, but triple and quadruple down on that comment that uh, we were lucky enough to go to the Churchill War Rooms when we were there in 2010. And it was phenomenal. Absolutely. If you if you're ever in London, spend a few hours there, you, you will not regret it. 
They also uh, have control of the HMS Belfast, which is a big battleship, which is moored on the Thames. Um, and then they have the IWM London, which is the one I was talking about, and they have a, a place in Manchester as well, which I've not been to. It's the only one of those that I've not been to. Um, but Duxford, I was told, as well as having the Concorde that I saw as a kid, uh, Brian wrote in to say they actually have an SR-71 there as well, and he took a picture of it. Oh, that's awesome. So if I ever want to recreate the Udvar Hazy, I just got to go up to Duxford. <laughs> you know, you could also come back here. We, we will allow it. Well, for now, anyway. Also, Duxford is easier to remember and spell than Udvar Hazy. Well, there is that, but that's all right. Uh, speaking of uh, airports and airplanes and things of that nature, you uh, flew through Dulles. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, I, this was yeah. a late-breaking addition to the show notes. It just occurred to me when you brought it up. Now, you were in the fancy new part of Dulles, were you not? Yeah, which is awesome. Right? It's actually quite nice. And It's and, one of the nicest airports I've ever been to. Yeah, so it, if you recall, Dulles is um, a little bit west of D.C. proper. That's where most travelers will fly out of. Um, there's also Reagan, which is like in the city limits. Um, in any case, there's two kinds of Dulles. It's the same airport, but there's like different terminals, like most other airports. And a couple of the terminals are from like the seventies and they're ancient and they're gross and they're kind of dirty and and they're icky. And that's what our uh, mutual friend gray flies through because he believes in United, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but apparently you flew Virgin. Did you, did you not? Yeah. Yeah. There was a Virgin flight. They fly out of there. But yeah, the, the joke, I guess is because, um, Gray hates Dulles Airport. Which I can understand if his only exposure was to those god-awful old terminals. Yeah, see, I never got to see any of those. I mm-hmm. did see the people movers. We were going to mm-hmm. get on one, but uh, the, a guy kind of gave us a weird look and asked us where we were going, so we retreated immediately. Because we that's not where... We, if we would have got on the people mover, then it would have taken us somewhere else. And, right. Uh, yeah, so we ran away, scared. And then uh, we we went to the new terminal. They had like a five guys there, and mm-hmm. yeah, it, was, it was really awesome. Yeah, uh, that's the terminal that I always fly out of to go to WWDC. And it's always the same uh, gate. I don't remember what terminal letter it is, but it's always, I think, gate 63 or something like that. And there's like a Chipotle. Well, that makes sense, right? Because, you know, the planes are on a schedule. Yeah, and uh, and it's all, there's always like a Chipotle nearby, although it's always a little too early to eat it. Uh, it's, it's very good. So I'm, I'm glad you have experienced Dulles. Although, even though I'm glad you didn't go in the old and busted part, I'm slightly sad that you didn't get to experience it so you and Gray can uh, can commiserate together. So we're recording at a weird time this week, and uh, it's all Mike's fault. Yeah, it is all my fault, but there's, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, no, we are recording at a weird time this week because you bumped me. I did, which is not something that I am particularly proud of and not something I would generally do. Like, it's one mm-hmm. thing if we record on a different day because one of us has something going on, you know, in the, in the evening time or whatever the case may be. But for me to bump this show specifically for another show, it's a little obnoxious. But also when, for me, it's like I'm just being bumped for ATP, <laughs> right? Like when I'm bumped, it's like, oh, I'm recording ATP now instead, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, oh, fantastic. And the reason for this is because <laughs> Casey was hiding a, a very special guest for episode 205 of ATP, this uh, is which was Chris Latner. Um, I I will just say at this moment in time, if you haven't listened to it, you should. You should at least listen to the first 90 seconds. It was an incredible reveal where it is mentioned nowhere in the notes or anything that that Chris was on the show. 
um, and he just appeared, which was, it was hilarious, and you guys did a good job of that. Whoever's idea that was, they were having a good day. So let's start with some follow-up. Why did Chris Latner decide to leave Apple? Well, last week we talked about this, and we tried to list all the reasons we could think of why he might be leaving. Um, and I think we covered most of the major threads of speculation, and we didn't really get a lot of listener feedback about it. Anybody who did reply was mostly voting for one of the things we talked about. But here's the thing on this topic. Unless there's some kind of like secret doomsday thing about Apple that only Chris knows, it's not actually that important that we figure out like why he left Apple or like what was in his heart of hearts, like aside from just us being busybodies or just wanting to know like gossip type stuff. And second, pragmatically speaking, this is just not the type of thing that people who leave Apple talk about or, you know, if they do talk about it, it's like years and years later after no one cares anymore or, you know, like it's, it's not a big deal. Um, so even if there was some deep, dark reason, it's not like we would know about it until years from now. And honestly, the straightforward, boring explanation is probably the right one anyway. So, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Chris? That sounds about right to me, John. That was all Syracuse. Um, we had been workshopping how to do it for a while. And we, we had all known pretty much immediately that we were going to do some sort of big reveal. And the initial cut at it was... Um, that we would start by somebody asking Chris, hey, have you driven any interesting cars lately? Which that that joke kind of mutated into what Marco said after the modem noise. But Syracuse ended up coming up with kind of sort of a script for he and I to read in the opening and then to have Chris jump in. And I should I should make it clear in case you don't listen to ATP. Uh, Chris Latner is an unbelievably, unbelievably, indescribably bright man who has written uh, various different compiler technologies that basically... What's a compiler? Right. Well, see, we can go down this rabbit hole forever. So Mm -hmm. basically, when you write code, there's a series of tools that you have to use in order to get that code to run on anything, on a computer, on a phone, on a tablet, whatever the case may be. So Chris Latner is the... um, he, he wrote the beginnings of, if not the lion's share, of two different tools called LLVM and Clang, which are used to write everything that's on your iPhone today. Um, and then he is also the original author of the Swift programming language. And if you're not familiar with what that is, suffice it to say... Um, Apple currently uses a very old language that's literally like 30 years old called Objective-C. Um, and that language has been replaced by this language called Swift. And, and Chris Latner is the guy who came up with Swift. And Swift will eventually be what all iPhone apps and Apple code is written out of. I mean, that's the expectation. Yeah, that's it, it, an infinite timescale sort of thing because there's a lot of reasons why they can't do that yet, which we go into some of them in the show. But suffice to say that Mike is right, that there will eventually come a time, I think, that it will be all Swift all the time. So anyway, so he has just left Apple and is actually going to Tesla, which makes him uh, uniquely well positioned for our show, which was born from a car show. Um, but because of his schedule... Basically, uh, Marco and John and I said, anytime you can do it, Chris, I don't care if it's during work, I don't care if it's in the middle of the night, whenever it works for you, that's totally worth it. it. Yeah, totally worth it. Yeah, and so the most agreeable time for all four of us happened to be over the time that Mike and I typically record this past Tuesday. And so I appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate you letting me bump you to a fairly inconvenient time for you today. Um, But it all worked out, and uh, it was was a really great episode. I, 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 as a listener, like regardless of whether or not I did well, as a listener, I thought it was a phenomenal episode. And and hearing a man who is that brilliant, anyone that's that brilliant, I shouldn't say a man, anyone that's that brilliant and that knows their stuff 
that well. It's just fascinating. I feel like I um I feel like I just like sat back and let my hair get blown back. You know, like it was just insane listening to Chris go on and on. And 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 we didn't prep him with questions. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but we didn't send him like a list of questions for him to prepare. This was all off the cuff. And I don't know if that was made obvious during the show, but this was entirely off the cuff. And he would just go into these deep, deep, deep dives that, I, I mean, the only other person I know that can go that deep on any subject under the sun is Syracuse. And I think Chris did a better job than even John did, which I think John would probably say as well. I mean, it was just unreal listening to somebody who knows their stuff and loves their work talk about what they've done. It was it was cool. I loved it. What did you think of it? Well, I'll just say at this point, like if we haven't really done a good enough job of explaining who Chris is, suffice it to say, if you are interested in the kinds of things that the ATP crew, so Marco and John and Casey are interested in, he is a very big deal, right? Like, just just take it as read, right, on that. Like, th- th- this guy is a very big deal. He has had his hand in a lot of things that they work with daily. You know, he's he's kind of like a, a visionary person in creating the types of tools that the, these three guys use to do their work every day. Right, exactly. Right. Um, so, okay, well, let me tell you what I thought then. Uh, before I, I have a lot of questions to ask you, and I assume you will give me no comment on a bunch of them. <laughs> um, so for me, this was peak ATP. Mm-hmm. Like I've mentioned in the past that like I love ATP even when I don't understand what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and usually this is during the developer conversation. Right. Like typically, I think the majority of the conversation on a, on, on the Accidental Tech Podcast is focused around. What is happening in technology today? But every now and then, you'll like slip into something and <laughs> it will be like 45 minutes of gibberish to me, <laughs> right? Because I don't understand what Clang is. It just sounds like the number one bad guy in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like <laughs> it it's, sort of you know, does. it isn't it, like none of this stuff. I have no basis for it. So at the start of the episode, the very start of the episode, you guys were clearly aware of this and broke things down. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the first parts was John took a moment to explain what a compiler was, like you just did. Mm-hmm. That was the first and only time that that <laughs> happened. After this moment, it was it's just, like, nonsense words, right? A lot of it. And the reason is, I mean, I can tell, it's because you just guys will just get so excited that all you want to do is just talk about what's going on. Um and the thing is, I'm like three quarters of the way through it as mm-hmm. we're recording today, and it's it's awesome. I but I have it. no freaking idea what's going on. Like I have <laughs> absolutely no idea what's going on. But I can. What I am enjoying is the excitement in everyone. Mm-hmm. Like so, Chris is clearly excited to be on the show, and he's having a good time getting to talk to you guys. And you're all really excited. And it's also super weird to hear you all like asking these questions and being all polite and like, (laughs) you know, like taking your turns and stuff like that, which is kind of funny. Because, you know, I assume it's you're not typically like that when you record. No. Um, So it's, it's fun. And also like, you know, it's fun to have just a break from the regular types of conversation that we hear. Like, I love ATP for what it is, but it's nice every now and then to get of any show that you listen to, to get like a special mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and this is this is like a special episode but yeah it's, I mean, it's fascinating but if this was what it was every week i don't think i could listen 
Yeah, because it would it would be too much. It's like I I'm happy as a listener to like hear these digressions into this sort of stuff mm-hmm. because you get like a little peek into it, and you know it's like the, for the reason that I listen to Under the Radar because most of the time they're talking about business, but then mm-hmm. every little while they'll talk about something that I don't understand, but I can like I can let it go, right? Like right. It, it doesn't take a lot away from me, but like if it was. If they were constantly just talking about like the newest developments in compilers and Xcode every every week, I wouldn't be able to get anything out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like I could get something out of this show because I could like pick apart the nice little interesting parts that came out of the episode because it was really interesting. But it's it's basically like listening to a foreign language in, in parts, <laughs> and, and I don't know if I would do it all the time. You know? Yeah, and it's funny because um, as we were recording, I felt like. This is going well. I wasn't sure how it was going to go just because of the awkwardness of it all, of three people kind of all um, not against, but sort of against one in that we're all interviewing him. Like, obviously, it was it was Mm -hmm. friendly. It's not that we were we were angsty or anything, but it was it was kind of three on one. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But like halfway through the episode, I thought to myself, well, if we ever wanted to go to four hosts, now I know who it is, you know, because I I just thought it was really good. That, like, if you guys wanted to, like, he would be a great addition, but you'd have to, like, you know... Well, it would be a totally different chill show. Chill it out a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I think if a, if you think, you, collective you, if you find that ATP is a good show and if you find that ATP works, I think the reason it works is because of the three of us. All three mm-hmm. of us. Not me more than John. Not John more than Marco. Not Marco more than me. Uh, it's just... A, it's the combination of the three of us. And if you add somebody else in, it's a different beast. And that's not bad, but... um. But yeah, I agree with you yeah. that as a one-time thing, or you know, maybe he'll come back eventually. Who knows? But as a like at best, a very great once in a while thing, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really phenomenal, uh, and and I'm really thankful to Chris for having come on and spent what it amounted to about three hours that we recorded, uh, and, and you know, obviously some of that got chopped, but uh, he was such a good sport about it, did a phenomenal job. Like it was, as, uh, and I shouldn't be so surprised by this, right? Because he's talked at like he he's been featured at most of the State of the Union. Um, it's a, totally different skill sets. Yeah. Uh, so this is so the so if you think of WWDC, the first. The big thing on the first day on that Monday is the keynote. That's what it is broadcast live. Everyone sees it. Um, that's where they you know announce Swift for the first time. So he's been in the keynote. But the afternoon, right after lunch, is the developer State of the Union. And Chris, for the last couple of years, has been very, very um, important and, and and featured prominently in those addresses. And those are those are kind of like the keynote that's actually for the developers. And um, and so, uh, on the one side, uh, he's used to public speaking, which is why I bring this up. On the other side, like it, it is a different skill set, and um, and he did a phenomenal job. All right, I want to know the backstory of all of this, um, <laughs> so it's my turn to interview. But before we do that, let me take a moment and thank our first sponsor of this week's episode, and that is Ministry of Supply. I mean, right now I am in my pajamas. Uh, because that's how I work now. But I spent <laughs> 10 years every single day going to work in a suit, 40 hours a week in uncomfortable work clothing. And I'm sure, Casey, that you still wear like regular clothes, you know, like shirts and slacks and stuff like that, I guess. Not, not slacks, but I do wear, um, you know, usually you wear I wear button downs. I'll wear button downs a lot of the time yeah. and then jeans. But see, but that's that's a comfortable way of working, you mm-hmm. know, in, in an essence. Like but I mean I mean I remember wearing these just like 
what felt like straight jackets of suits, like just uncomfortable, restrictive clothing. In the summer, I still had to wear the same stuff, and I would just be like drenched with sweat by the time I got to work. This is what Ministry of Supplies set out to fix. They make performance clothes for the modern-day workplace. It was launched by MIT engineers. A Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research, performance technology, and tailored design to create wear-to-work clothes for men and women, like dress shirts, blouses, and pants. I'm really happy, actually, the last time we had Ministry Supply and they were just men's clothes. Um, but now they do a whole women's line as well, which I'm really excited about. Um, and the stuff looks really nice. Like, uh, the, the hosts of Rocket have it. And I was talking to Simone, um, and she was telling me, like, how just how nice it all looks and feels. And, like, she sent me some pictures and stuff. And it's it looks really good. Like, they have, um, they have like, this one of their women's shirts called the Easier Than Silk shirt. And it looks like a silk shirt. Um, it's got four-way stretch, wrinkle resistance, and it's machine washable. You know, so it looks really great. That like all of their garments, they they work with your body to provide maximum comfort, combined with features like temperature control, wrinkle resistance, and extreme stretch to give you a sharp, professional look all day long. The the men's shirt, and I've I've got a couple of these. It's called the Future Forward Dress Shirt. It has NASA invented fibers that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. My favorite thing about Ministry of Supply clothes is they have all of this awesome technology in them to make them more comfortable, but they don't look like I'm on my way to the gym. Right? Like, it's got all of this stuff in it, but it doesn't compromise on style and look. And I think that's really important. Ministry of Supply now make socks as well. They make the smarter dress socks, which are made of coffee fiber that wicks sweat and absorbs odor. They provide extreme cushion as well with more padding than most gym socks. Ministry of Supply offers free shipping, free returns, and a 100-day no-questions-asked return policy, which is my favorite thing. You can find out more by going to ministryofsupply.com slash analog, and you'll get a free pair of their moisture-wicking smarter dress socks with your first purchase. So go to ministryofsupply.com slash analog to find out more, or visit any of their nine retail stores, including locations in San Francisco, Atlanta, and Chicago, and mention this show for that discount. Thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for their support of Analog and Relay FM. How did this happen? <laughs> How did you get Chris Latner on the show? It, it just happened. Come on. He didn't just like show up on Skype. Well, no, not really. But, uh, you know, I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot tell you how the magic tricks come to be, Mike. But uh, suffice to say, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. unexpected. Um, it had been something that mm. had been worked on uh, for a few days, maybe a week or two. Probably, I guess, a few days. I don't know. Um, but it was it was unexpected for me um it came out of nowhere for me and i think the very first thing i said was anytime anywhere i don't care let's make it happen i'm gonna keep pushing on this was chris latner still employed by apple when this conversation began i don't recall i mm. i don't remember. oh oh yeah uh, okay oh i don't remember mm-hmm. mm. okay can Thanks. i plead the fifth in an international podcast does that work no <laughs> no, we're recording this on my soil, my friend. How are we? I see. Here yeah. it was. I thought I was in America. Well, for well, another no, this hour is, or this two. This is where it all happens. Mm-hmm, I see. Okay. So when you found out that he was booked, were there any restrictions in place? Um, we did briefly talk about it. Uh, I, I think it, we never intended to get into like mudslinging about what happens at Apple. Um, and, and he made it pretty clear, pretty quick, not in a jerky way, just, you know, in a, Hey guys, this is the situation that he, he was, he had no interest in talking about like specific people or, or specific going ons within Apple. Um, which is exactly what you would expect, right? Like nobody, 
nobody with any brains anyway is going to burn a bridge after you walk over it. And um, and it's, he's a nice guy from what I, from everything I can tell. Like that just doesn't strike me as his style anyway. Um, so whether or not he had like a gag order from Apple regardless of that he he clearly did not want to speak about specifics or or tesla for that matter he didn't want to speak about specifics um in that regard now it ended up he actually got more specific than i thought he would because we would talk about like uh, we would ask him hey you know how did swift happen and we expected some like or maybe i shouldn't speak for all of us but i expected some platitudes again not because chris is a jerk or anything just because you know it's sort of proprietary information right and he actually was way more forthcoming about it than i expected which was amazing and um and i feel like one of the best parts or one of the best things this episode does is serve as a bit of oral history as to how swift came to be and actually clang and lvm as well but um I hope that this episode stands the test of time in terms of just giving a history of how Swift happened, which is awesome and not something that we get the opportunity to hear about very often. I think that, uh, well, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I assume that these conversations like all went through Chris. Like you were you were communicating with him directly. You didn't like speak to a person in between to arrange all of this. Not, I personally did not speak to him directly, but one of the hosts of the show did, yes. How did the three of you prepare for this? Uh, once we knew it was, it was going to happen in our shared Google Doc, we started throwing uh, questions out. And and at first, it was just kind of a brainstorm. And then John, breaking the rules of ATP, but in a way that I'll permit, John started going through and trying to figure out themes of questions. Um, so so like a theme of what is your history, you know, Chris's work history. And a theme is where do you see stuff going in the future? And I forget what the other themes were. I think I just deleted it from the show notes. But um, but he tried to pull in themes and we would, you know, add questions and rearrange questions. And then by the time we started recording, we had a fairly decent list of questions that were thematically uh, oriented that I felt pretty good about. Um and then as we were recording, we would start putting initials in front of each question. So it would be C colon and then a question. And I would ask that mm. question and or M or J. So you were back channeling, basically. Yeah, it's we yeah. still, me more than anyone else, we still stepped on each other's toes a few times. And, and that's why the edit exists, right? So Marco took a lot of that out, I hope, anyway. Um, but but we, we tried to back channel as effectively as possible. And basically what we were doing was when somebody really felt passionately about something, we would put our own initials in front of a question, even if it was like two or three in a row. Um, If somebody felt like somebody else was a good person to ask the question, um, like, for example, I threw John's and Marco's initials in front of a couple of questions that I thought they were well suited to, to talk about. Like, I think I had asked Marco to talk about the server side Swift stuff. Um, and one of us had asked John to talk about the garbage collection versus arc discussion that's at the end of the episode, which might have been my favorite part of the whole episode. But um, but yeah, but we that's had all be the bit that makes the least sense to me, right? Like I can feel it already. Probably. Um, but it was just nice because we had this batch of questions. We had a rough order of operations, if you will. And then we would just start either assigning questions or claiming questions as the show went on. We rearranged we rearranged a bit, but not that much. Generally speaking, we had a pretty good game plan. I think from where I am right now, um Marco hasn't really asked a lot. He seemed to he seemed to didn't really have as as many questions as you and John did. Yeah, I think that's partially because Marco is 
less affected by Chris's current work. He's just as affected as as anyone else by Chris's earlier work in Clang and LVM. But in yeah. terms of Swift, you know, Marco had just started writing Swift that day in order to prepare. So, um, <laughs> so nothing like doing your homework at the, at the last minute. Uh-huh. But um, but because of at that, least I, he did it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but because of that, I don't think he had as much to do with the kind of future stuff. Well, maybe not the future, but like I guess maybe the current is a better way of phrasing it. Um, and and so I think John and I were pretty heavy in the beginning. Uh, when we get to the server side stuff, I think Marco jumped in and and actually added a few like follow on questions as as he heard what Chris said. Um, and I thought Marco did a great job with that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was. I don't know. I never like looked back and did a count or anything like that, but I felt satisfied with the division of questions by the end. And it, it seemed like it was approximately even when it was all said and done. So I felt pretty it good. Doesn't it doesn't matter as long as the show was good. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, even if I was, if even, even if I was silent for half of the episode, I, it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. You know, as long Not as it's good. You. Exactly. All right. So how were your nerves? Um, I was... Your nerves are palpable in the beginning. Oh like, my god, I was shaking. Like I could, I could cut them up and eat them if I wanted yeah. to. Yeah, no, it, like, I, 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 I wish they weren't, but I could tell they were. Um, but that's fine though, because it makes it more fun when you know the surprise. Yeah. Right? So, generally speaking, even before I started podcasting, I don't really get scared in front of groups of people. I, I don't. Like, I'm not saying that to brag. It's just that whatever that gene is that most people have that makes them freak out about talking in front of a bunch of people. It doesn't bother me. Like, um, it's a silly and weird example, but I was a tour guide at my university um, back at Virginia Tech, and I would give tours to like a hundred people, and didn't I didn't blink an eye. There was one time I spoke at an open house where there were something like two or three thousand people all in this auditorium together. Didn't phase me at all. Didn't care. I had, a, I had like a I had a flash of nerves right as I was walking on stage, but after that it was fine. I've given talks talks at CocoConf doesn't bother me I, you know, of course i get a bit nervous it's not like i'm stoic or anything but generally speaking it's very manageable this particular time i was freaking out i was freaking out for days leading up to it and i was literally like i don't think my body was shaking but you can hear i suspect i haven't listened back yet but you can hear my voice shaking as i'm doing the introduction and doing my piece of it um because I was so nervous. And I think it was because when I talk to big groups of people, I've understood that no matter what you do, there's going to be someone that thinks you're a friggin' idiot and that you don't know what you're talking about, no matter what. I don't care if it's a group of 10, a group of 100, a group of 1,000, a group of 10,000, and actually even groups of 100,000. But there will be at least one, if not many people, that think you're an idiot, and you just have to accept that and move on. That's the way of the world. The difference here, though, is that I only cared about what one person thought, and I was pretty sure he was going to think I was an idiot. Not Again, not because Chris is a bad guy, but because he is in a different like stratosphere than where I am. Like I think of myself as a reasonably bright man, and Chris is in a whole new level. I mean, not, not only is he a PhD, but he's just a very freaking smart guy in a way that I can't even begin to attain. And, and that, that's intimidating. It's super It's really interesting to me that you keep you keep going back to that. Like, going back to what? Chris is so smart. Chris is so smart. Mm-hmm. Like, as if it's... It's it's interesting to me. Like, I heard you mention it in a couple of places. You've, you've kept saying it here. Like, yeah, he is, but that doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk to him. Yeah, I know. It's not like, you know, idle chit-chat will make his brain melt. Like, <laughs> he's just a regular person, you know? It's not like discourse must be at the level of Chris, otherwise he will leave. Yeah, yeah. 
but it's intimidating, right? It's, you know, if you were to play basketball against Michael Jordan, you'd be intimidated, right? And even if Michael Jordan knows that... Well, yeah, but you're not coding. Like, you're not, like, in a code-off or whatever it would be called. No. You're not competing against him in the thing that... I mean, you're just talking to him. I agree, but it's my job on the show to be able to keep up with him. And Mm -hmm. there are definitely times that even me, my eyes glazed over. Because you have to understand, a compiler... And this is, again, what, what a lot of Chris's work has been around. A compiler, to me, is a black box. I understand the inputs, and I understand what the... That, well, I don't understand the outputs necessarily, but in that it's all ones and zeros. But I understand kind of what the purpose of the outputs are, if that makes sense. But I don't really understand very well the, the machinations and the goings-on within compilers. And that's what Chris mm-hmm. did for a living, was write compilers. You know what I mean? So it's like... If you were to talk to the person that that wrote Logic, that's what you use to do the edits, right? Logic? Uh-huh. Yeah, so if you, if you were to talk to the person that wrote Logic, that, I would assume that would be intimidating, at least in part, because you don't really need to understand how Logic does what it does. You have an unbelievable, good, great knowledge of of what to do in Logic, what what inputs to put in, what what to ask uh-huh. it to do, and what to get, and how to get things out of it. But Logic itself is kind of a black box. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, I see where you're going, but Logic's a real bad example. Well, okay, because fair. If I found, I mean, I have a long list of things I want to talk to the person who made Logic about. Uh, <laughs> but you, but you I don't know if I'm the saying. conversation would go the same way. But I, I get your point. I yeah. get your point. But it is just interesting to me. I think it... Um, it's just it's clearly an insecurity that you have, I think. Yeah. Just with the way that you're talking about it. Um and I think it it's one of those things that stems from like the conversations we've had about like how you felt when you started ATP. Like you yeah, did yeah, you yeah. know, like the imposter syndrome type mm-hmm. thing. It, it's clearly like a it's clearly a strand of that. Because like I just keep hearing you mention it. Like he's so smart, he's so smart. Like there's no way that I could have a conversation with him. Yeah. It's just interesting. Um You've mentioned that you were proud of how it turned out. Did it did it live up to your expectation of how you thought the show was going to be? No, oh, God, no, it was much better. And I know that's super oh, cliche yeah? and stupid. I understand how cliche and stupid it is, but I thought it went really well. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect, really. Like, I figured it would go well, but I thought it went really, really well. And and I'm not one to like to toot my own horn. And and I don't think it was me specifically that made it that made it so good. I think the combination of the four of us in this context is what made it so good, right? So in an interview show with the four of us together, I think that's what made it great. So like let's say just for the sake of discussion that Chris offers to come back. Which uh, he hasn't, but it doesn't mean he won't. Let's say he offers to come back. Let's say for the sake of discussion that after WWDC this year we have him on to talk about how he thinks everything went, which I don't think he would do, but just for an example. I think that would be a very different beast, and I think that that would still be good, but it would be different. Um, I think this particular episode was so great because all three of us have different interests in different spaces that cover kind of the gamut of, of the things that he works with. And what made it so great was having the preparation done as we did, which is very much not our style. I mean, cue the theme song, right? But um, <laughs> but it, I think having that preparation and having somebody that, that can go so deep at a moment's notice just made it phenomenal. And I, as a listener, I loved it. And I mean, not to say that I don't love ATP in general. Like, I would listen to that show if I wasn't on it. But in this particular episode specifically, I... I will I will be going back and listening to this one again, where I generally don't do that for most ATPs. How do people react? Uh, also better than I expected. Um, 
especially given the episodes that we had had, I don't know, maybe two years ago now about women in tech and about um, about our privilege and, and representation within ATP. Um, I expected people to get pretty ticked off that there was another white guy on the show. And I think in part because of our preamble, where we said to them, you know, this is not a normal thing. This is an extraordinary circumstance that we're not used to. And we're not going to say no to this. I think that helps. But to this, as we record today, I have yet to hear anyone say, oh, way to go. Another white dude. The circumstances are different. It's not like you just got another, uh, another writer on or another developer. Like there is only one of this person. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's you exactly know, right. I get it. Yeah, and and so I, people were much better about that than I expected. I expected a lot of snark about that. I've again, we've heard none as yet. Um, I expected that people would get a little snarky about how hard we pushed on certain things and and the questions that we got or that we gave him. But I think more more than any other thing I've ever done on the internet, even my post about when we were pregnant with Declan, which got some snark from here and there. Um, I think this is what I might be most proud of. Uh, I really think this episode, well, mm, that's not fair. It's not what I'm most proud of, but it's what's been received the best. That's a better way of phrasing it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm most proud of that post about Declan. But this um, this has been the most universally praised of anything I think I've ever been involved with. Well, that time we all cried. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> actually, that's a good point. <laughs> episode yeah, five. Yeah, I was going to say episode five. crying five's, episode. Actually, that, that, that's right up there. Yeah, I would say, actually, I'm glad you reminded me of that. I think those two are the things I'm most proud of, actually. And 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 the Declan Post. The three things I'm most proud of and the things that have been most universally received were those two episodes. Yeah, man, I, want, I really want to listen back to that. But oh, oh, yeah, I know. I know those feels. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> it's like I, want, I just want to hear what it was like, but now I'm just like, oh, God, I can't do it. Yeah. Everyone's going to cry again. Yep, probably. Well, I, I, as I say, I think that the show came out really well. Uh, I'm really happy that you did it, um, and I'm looking forward to finishing it. It's, it's a, it's a biggie. Uh, yeah. I haven't had enough time yet, but I'm going to probably get through it today. I'm going to finish it all off. Uh, as I say, my my brain is is a little bit more glazed than usual, <laughs> um, but it's it's a good, it's a really good conversation. Like I can appreciate that. So. Oh, thank uh, you. And I know how big a deal it is um, for you all. So, congratulations! Oh, I appreciate on, it. It was on Landon. It was uh, very lucky. It was very lucky, and um, and you know, it, it was super lucky. But it was also a testament to the three of us, right? That he chose, that he chose us over anyone else, and and I'm proud of that too. Like that, it was it was very flattering of of him to to come on this show rather than any other. So uh, I'm super pleased, super thankful. But there's more. There is even more important news than this. Oh, what's that? You're looking. You're looking mighty fine, my friend. That's Casey news. Liss is growing a beard. Ugh. Ugh. This is great. It's so great. Oh, and also you put stickers on your computers now. I actually added. Uh, welcome one. to the right side of that club. Uh-huh. I actually added one. It's not. We'll have a link uh, to a tweet I made in the show notes. There's a picture of my computer, and I've since added one sticker to it. And then there's a picture of me deliberately looking kind of like what the what um, that I took at work. Yeah, so uh, after after you and Aaron met, there was Collusion. Uh, Mm -hmm. Cue the League, which you probably haven't seen. It's a really great TV show. But there's Collusion, I tell you. And um, you and Aaron colluded 
to influence me into ceasing my biweekly shaving. That's twice a week, whatever. Anyway, I typically would shave like Monday and Friday um, because I don't grow hair in my face that terribly quickly. And uh, you have you have colluded to get me to stop shaving. And uh, this is I stopped. I want to I guess like a couple of weeks ago now, something like that, because I shaved, um, I think, my first day back at work. So like the second or third or something like that. And then uh, I don't believe I've shaved since I didn't I didn't expect for it to go this long. So I didn't like take note of it or anything. Um, But yeah, I've I've not shaved for a while. I have something that vaguely looks like a beard. I don't know about this. So I, uh, me and Aaron were, were discussing this over iMessage was how it started. <laughs> um, so the information that I received is that you were watching an award show and remarked upon the facial hair of all the men on the award show and mm-hmm. then wondered if you should grow a beard. Uh, sort of, yeah. So I'd actually been saying to her um, that for a while now, it seems like it's very, very trendy to have a beard for at least the last year or two. It's super trendy to have a beard. And and when I say beard, I mean more than just a teeny bit of stubble. That doesn't have to mean like the masterpiece that Mike or like a Jim Dalrymple or anything like that, but just more than a little bit of stubble. And it's super trendy to have a beard right now. And, mm-hmm. and on the one side that makes me feel like, well, I guess I should do that too. Cause that's what all the cool kids are doing. Um, but on the other side that makes me and my old man ways be like, ah, screw that. And I'm going to go clean shaven. That's the one true way. Make my face great again. Um, and so I have been torn and then you and Aaron started talking on iMessage and it was all downhill from there. I don't know. I just assumed that she wasn't interested in it. Right. I yeah. don't know why. Like I could just, cause she was so like, it was never going to happen. I thought that there might, you know, uh, she, she was just like not interested in it at all, but that seems to be quite the opposite. In fact, well, it, it, it's actually become, I don't know if she's just putting the pressure on because she knows, she, she knows she has a cohort, but I always thought she was kind of indifferent to it. Like, yeah, shave if you yeah. want beard, if you want whatever. But now again, I can't tell how much of this is just her egging me on and, or how much of this is actually her, if that makes sense. But, um, it seems like she's more enthusiastic about this than I thought, which is mm-hmm. alarming in a couple of ways, mostly that I can't read her as well as I thought I could. And to be honest, I can barely read her, but, <laughs> but even then I thought I could read her better than, than apparently I can. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been, she's been encouraging me. I don't think she wants with respect. I don't think she wants me to go full my curly, but I think she likes mm-hmm. having something there. You got to keep it going, man. I know you're still in the uncomfortable phase. It's not that you it's, are in the uncomfortable phase because like you're saying that your hair grows slowly. Mm-hmm. You need to give it a little bit longer. Another, another couple of weeks, man. Give it another couple of, you can trim it down, you know, and stuff like you got, you just got to get, you just got to get over the hump. Well, that's the thing. Like I, I, I had said to Mike before the show, we actually had a moment where we talked via video, which we'd never do. So I could see the gloriousness upon Casey's Something face. Something like that. And I had pointed out to him that I actually shaved my neck area, which the only other time that I can remember growing like a legit beard was a couple of years back. I did Movember. I think I might have done it twice, actually. But anyway, um, it's this. Yeah, you did, you did the cheating way of doing yes, Movember. Exactly right. So the idea is you're supposed to grow a really ridiculous mustache. And then people will ask you about that mustache. And you say, oh, well, you should donate to you know Men's Health Awareness and Men's Health uh, charities and whatnot. Well, anyway, the way I did the cheaters approach, which is just grow everything until the eleventh hour and then shave everything but your mustache. And um, and I don't remember it being too much longer than it is right now. And I feel, I mean, I don't know. It's it's not actively uncomfortable. I just don't like it. There was about a day, maybe two or three days ago, where I was like, hey, you know, I actually think I kind of like this. And 
And it, I don't know what changed. Like, I wish I could tell you, well, here's why I don't, I don't, it's, I feel like it's too much now and it's not even that bad, but I feel like it's too much. Uh, and I feel like I kind of want it gone, but I, I, I guess I told myself to the end of the month and then I told myself, eh, I'll show Mike when we get on the call today and then I'll probably shave tomorrow. But now, uh, actually Mike and Aaron spoke briefly by happenstance. <laughs> it, um, I had to run away for a brief moment before we started recording. And so the two of them were colluding again, this time verbally. And, uh, when I came back, she was like, no, 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 you shouldn't shave yet. Oh, you gotta no. keep it, man. Come on, just go for it. You can do it. I believe in you. And I don't know, like Dumbo Goggles is saying in the chat room, uh, two different things. First, they're saying that's the ultra itchy stage. Maybe I feel like I play with it a lot. Like I, I don't know if you can hear that, but I, I'm I'm messing with it a lot. But just because it's foreign, not because it's necessarily itchy. Um, but earlier they had said, and and it's a uh, uh, disturbingly apropos comment. Uh, Casey List is becoming the American eye mic. Yeah, boy. Mm. Come on. You can do this. I don't know. Come on, you I'm can. Not, do, I believe in you. I mean, I'll probably give it through the end of the month. Um, but uh, sitting here now, I do not want. You can do it. You look so good, though. Uh, it's very kind of you to say. Now you, uh, you cleaned yourself up a little bit. <sighs> yeah, it's too short right now. Oh, it looks so much better this way. It's too short right now. Uh, I, I, I clearly am the authority on all things beard, and <laughs> I have to uh, respectfully disagree. No, I don't, I, I don't like it. I don't oh, like it. God. I like it so, so much many more. people in my life told me that they like it more in this way, but I just can't. What does Adina say? She said she. Uh, I think her initial words to me was, "Oh, it makes you look younger," <laughs> which <laughs> my I didn't like. Word. Not my that goodness. she was saying I look old because yeah, it yeah. does make me look younger. Um, but like, yeah, I. She tells me different, but I don't think that she's too keen. I mean, she, I know she likes it when it's longer. I, I think she doesn't like it right now, but she's just being nice to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that, but yeah, it's it's not it's not like incredibly short. It's just a little bit shorter than I want, and then but I can't deal with that very well. So oh, uh, a couple I, of weeks, couple of weeks, and I'll be back to normal. And I can't deal with it being longer than I want. So here we are. <laughs> we can oh, just. I guess word. there's some kind of trade that we right? can do here. Something like that. Do that. Do that thing like you did on your vlog, where you just wiped your hand in front of your face. Just wipe wipe your beard mm-hmm. off. Give it to me, and I'll take my beard and give it to you. And or something like that. I don't know. But my beard is longer than yours. Actually, beard, that's though. true. Yeah, that's not going to work at all. I guess it's just we need our preferences to be changed. Uh, whatever. Anyway. As uh, we'll run for fun in the chat room, ABT, the Accidental Beard Podcast. Oh, God. No beard is an accident. Beards, beards are serious. It's serious business. Uh, I don't know about that. Somebody said to me, I don't. maybe it was you, it was somebody, but they said that not having a beard is a choice. Having a beard is just existing. Because you that doesn't have, make any sense. Sure no. it does. Because if you want to have a beard, nope. you just stop doing anything. Whereas if you want to not have well, a beard, sure. you have to shave. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course. But that's not what people tend to... Like, all right, you could just leave it, but that's not what you're doing. You're tending to it. Only the neck. I'm not touching anything other than my neck. Right, but if you decide that this is the life that you want to lead... I won't. Then having a beard... You still need it. Still requires work. Having like just unkempt facial hair is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- a friend of mine um, who lives around the corner, actually, and a prior coworker, just sent me an iMessage saying, "Having a beard is living." In all caps. So thanks, Steve. Yes, I appreciate it. Yes, yes. Uh, God, don't encourage him. Take life by the horns. Oh, take life by the. Never mind. I was going to say by the facial hair. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to use a euphemism for that, but I realized that would be applicable elsewhere. Anyway, why don't you tell me about something that's awesome? 
This week's episode is brought to you by Linode. Linode gives you fast, powerful hosting for your projects that you can set up in seconds. They have easy-to-understand tools that lets you choose your resources and Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility that you need. Their plans start at just $10 a month for a 2-gigabyte Linux server in the Linode cloud. Whether you're getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the right choice for you. It's never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. Linode offers the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind it all. They guarantee 99.9% uptime for server availability, and once your server is up, they keep it that way. Linode is fantastic for tasks like running a private Git server, hosting large databases, running a mail server, operating powerful applications, and so much more. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash analog, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose at all. So go to linode.com slash analog to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or use the promo code analog2017, analog2017, at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for their continued support of this here program. All right, what else is going on? How does it feel to have a tweet retweeted 16,500 times? <laughs> yeah. So that you was You wrote a pretty much like seemingly like kind of innocuous One would think. Tweet, One would think. Right? But it's, it's not like... Okay, so Casey tweeted, opposition I've heard to ACA. ACA is the Affordable Care Act. It cost me money. Well, the Affordable Care Act is colloquially known as Obamacare. So, yeah. So, it reads, uh, opposition I've heard to the ACA, two bullets. It cost me money. It cost me money. It's not perfect. So, support, as in support of the ACA, I would have died without the coverage it guaranteed. Now, we need to just set some parameters here. I do not want to get political today. Mm-hmm. Okay? But we just need to explain very briefly what's going on here. So, I'm going to see if I can do this. Okay. Um, The Affordable Care Act was one of the things spearheaded by the Obama administration that provides um, insurance coverage for more people in the United States. Um, So it allows for people that previously couldn't afford to get health insurance to get a level of cover. Uh, The Affordable Care Act also brought in some different provisions um, in regards to pre-existing medical conditions and how they were covered by insurers. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to something that Stephen Hackett wrote on Medium, um, which kind of explains this because uh, Hackett has a dog in this fight, of course. So I want you to to go and read that as something on Medium. Um, It would appear that the Republican Party is destroying it. Um, is is kind of like building, like kind of breaking it all down and reversing a lot of the decisions that the Affordable Care Act came to do, right? I'm I'm kind of right in saying that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I don't think it's all a done deal yet, right? But they're 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 clearly changing it in some way. Um, the oppos- some of the opposition to the Affordable Care Act is like more more people had to pay more money for this yeah well we could do you want me to jump in and give you kind of the broad overview or do you want me to sit on it you can if you can give me something quick which is not too weighted yeah i think so so um the opposition that i heard colloquially but i think seemed pretty common was a i don't want to be forced to pay for something that i don't want so you have Uh to understand that health insurance up until the affordable care act was not compulsory 
I personally think it's bananas not to have it, but it's not compulsory. And so people were saying, well, I don't want to have health insurance and I'm being forced because if you don't have health coverage, you pay a fine as of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, That was problem number one. Problem number two is what Mike was just driving at was that um, oftentimes it was expensive or sometimes even more expensive what people were used to. And the the big opposition that I actually agree with, uh, number three, is that a lot of people made um, made enough money to not qualify for like really good subsidies on the coverage. So they had to pay, quote unquote, normal amounts of coverage. But to pay that normal amount of coverage was too expensive for them. So let's just say for this, and I'm making this all up, let's say for the sake of argument, you can afford $100 a month on health insurance. Well, if it was subsidized, if you made little so little that it was subsidized, it would be $50 a month. Unfortunately, you make enough that it isn't subsidized and the cost is $500 a month. So you're in this like in-between zone where you make enough that you can't get it subsidized, but not enough to actually afford it. And that's that's really crummy. And that that I absolutely think is the place where the ACA falls down pretty hard. Yeah, so with every law, with everything like this, there are holes in it. There are problems with it, sure. right? Um, but you know, people that are in support of the Affordable Care Act kind of say it's an amazing thing, and people that are in opposition to it say it's the worst thing ever. Basically, yeah. And and partly because I think maybe more than a lot of things, um, the Affordable Care Act really kind of represents what each political party stands for, um, yep, or at least I agree. what each each side, like the left and right side of the like the political idea ideology stands for, you know, which is like support of the people or like I deserve my own money. Yep, uh, that's and, actually a really really good summary. And there are uh, most people, I think, have um, things that they believe in both camps. Yeah, yeah, I think right. that's fair. I do as well. Like, I think in some in some cases it makes sense that if I've worked hard and I've earned, then then that then I deserve that stuff. But in other cases, I recognize that there are people who are working hard that haven't been as lucky, despite working just as hard, if not harder. And they deserve a, they deserve a little bit of help or a break. And so yeah. you know, it's two sides to every coin. And you know, uh, you know, I just want to I just want to say real quick that like growing up where I grew up. Um, the fact that there is not healthcare for everybody, even if it's just the most minimum level of healthcare, which is free, I find to be inhumane and abhorrent. Uh, I just want to say that. I think it's absolutely disgusting and ridiculous that it doesn't exist. I'm not saying about what I think about this exact law, but I think there has to be something. I don't care what it is, but the fact that like somebody could break an arm and the only way to get their arm fixed is by paying thousands of dollars is... It's one of I cannot believe that the West there is a country in the Western world that operates this way. It mm-hmm. it boggles my mind. Absolutely, yep. like just on a fundamental level. And I'm not saying that you out there should be paying whatever you're paying, but everybody needs to pay something. We have taxes in this country that deal with that. They should exist in your country as well. Uh, yep. <laughs> oh, look at look at the guy who wasn't is saying don't go political. But anyway, I am not specifically talking about this one thing. But I think just healthcare in general needs to be a lot better than what you have. And yes, I did go political, but <laughs> hey ho, one I guess one of us had to do it. Right. So you sent out this tweet, which I'll say is like it's not like I I don't really know why 
16 and a half thousand people. <laughs> Thanks a lot. No, no I know, but like, I know there isn't like a thing in it which makes it like so much, but it's, it's, so I once watched this video by Casey Neistat about virality. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about like some of the things that you need to make something go viral. One of them is like timeliness. One, and then one of them is like a relatable zeitgeisty thing. Mm-hmm. And that it also, like, he found for him, like, with his airplane seat video, which has 30 million views on YouTube, that it needs to be approachable. Like, there has to be something about it which isn't too harsh. And I think that's what you've done. Not intentionally, mind. Uh, mostly that's accurate. But you weren't, you didn't write this tweet and be like, right, here goes for my 16,000 retweet tweet here. That's absolutely accurate. I was pretty proud of this. I felt like this was a clever tweet and I thought it had some legs when I posted it. By no means did I think it had the legs that it ended up having. Um, It's funny because I often will tweet things and I'm like, you know what? That was pretty clever. Go you. You done you done good on this one. And 99% of the time they fall on their face and nobody seems to like them. Be it a funny tweet or an insightful tweet or uh, whatever the case may be. There there have been I'd say a few times a year I'll I'll write a tweet that I'm like this one's a good one. And truth be told, I thought this one was one of those good ones. That said, no way did I think it was this kind of good. Or well, maybe not. Maybe it is or isn't good. But you know what I mean. Like, no way did I think it would get this kind of spread. Do you even know how this kind of caught on? Nope. I wish I did. I really, really wish I did. Partially because I'm a narcissistic ass, but partially because I'm just fascinated. Like, I want to know how this happened. I would. I would kill to see like the social graph of retweets on this tweet because I just find it fascinating. And there seemed to be like waves of it based on um, based on the replies I got. And I talked about this in a blog post, which I'm sure we'll bring up in a second. But well, I guess we brought it up now. Um, But it seemed like it started with like, oh, yeah, I agree with you. And it, you know, people were, it was spreading at some, and then it got to like, yes, this guy gets it. This is amazing. Like the really fervent, like really strong in, um, not encouragement, but you know what I mean? Like agreement. And then I think all of a sudden it crossed a, div- a divide and started spreading into circles that didn't really find humor in it. Well, not that it's funny, but you know what I mean? They didn't agree with it. And then, then it became some light opposition and then it became serious like name calling lots of people without identifiable information coming out of the woodwork telling me how much of a moron I am or how selfish I am I'm not really sure how but whatever um and, and so then it then it spread like wildfire on the opposite side of the fence, if that makes any sense. But I don't know the actual mechanism by which that happened, which was your actual question. Like, the only thing I happened to see was that Andy Richter retweeted it. Now, how did it get to Andy? Who, who retweeted it after Andy? I have no idea. And Andy Richter um, was the right-hand, like, comedic foil, right-hand guy, comedic foil on uh, the Conan O'Brien show for a long time. Um, yeah, so, I, think, I think the way this probably spread is that you... Uh, you have friends that are in media and you have friends that have friends that are in media yeah one would and assume mm-hmm. i i think because i was just looking at it when because we were talking about this long before it got in crazy crazy like 
maybe when there were like a few hundred or a thousand or something. Yeah. And like I was just like flipping through and there were just a bunch of people from technology media mm-hmm. and then it spread out to like a bit wider than that. Um, and then I think all it needs is to be picked up by one celebrity, like an Andy Richter, and then yeah. it, it passes the tipping point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's going to have a lot of people follow him that are incredibly engaged with this topic based on the fact of what he did for a living. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and I mean, I know that there's a couple of um, professional athletes that follow me on Twitter. Um, I know one, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, one of them is a hockey player. I believe he plays for the Los Angeles Kings. And he follows like everyone from ATP and me, which means obviously that just that he's a hockey player, but he's also interested in technology. So I, I honestly don't know if he was one of the ones that retweeted it, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was something like that. Like I do have a couple yeah. of people that follow me that are, can, I don't. This sounds terrible, but I'll finish my sentence. That are considerably more famous than I am, and I hope you they're understand. They're in the mainstream, right? Fame. Whereas I'm in my little niche, where they're in mainstream, just like you said, Mike. And um, and so it could be that maybe one of them caught it and retweeted it, and maybe Andy Richter really likes Los Angeles Kings hockey team, and then he retweeted. You know, it could be as direct as that. I suspect that what you said, Mike, is what's actually ha- what happened. That it just spread virally which sounds so silly but it's true well it did it yeah. did it, yeah. i mean that that's viral like sixteen thousand retweets and twenty some thousand faves like that's that's a viral tweet yeah i think i will just take a pause at this moment and say like we're talking about it and, and like referencing it and like it's that it's this political thing like i think it's worth pointing out that this means nothing right like that i mean that this isn't you didn't do anything important no, no, not right? at all. Like, and I just want to point that out that like we're very aware of this. It's just a weird thing that happened. Yep. Like, because Casey's tweeted this, and then you know maybe a million people have seen it or some crazy number. Actually, I can tell you if you give me a minute. But carry on. Yeah, that doesn't count. It doesn't count for the party apps. I know what you're going to look at, but oh. I don't think that the impressions well. thing can count anything other than what Twitter can track on their sites. But you're going to get a good. You, you take a look at it because you can get tweet impressions. Just so mm-hmm. it's and impressions means how many times Twitter believed that it's been in a timeline or seen in a timeline. Um, but like, yeah, I just think it's worth mentioning that like. Casey writing this tweet that tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have seen is is not nothing isn't changing anything. You know, like he didn't go out and go on a protest. Like you had a clever five minutes behind your keyboard, right? No, like this isn't less what changes that. the world. Yeah, oh no, it's less than that. It's I was standing in my living room, I think we had just finished watching a TV show, or and this just like struck me. I had this epiphany. An apostrophe? No, an epiphany. Uh, that's a reference. Anyway, I had this epiphany. I tweeted it. It was from my iPhone. It was 5.15 in mm-hmm. the evening, and that was it. And it got 1,537,290 impressions as per Twitter analytics. Yeah, so it's, it's been seen by way more people than that even. Yeah. And, um, and the thing of it is, is at best, at best, two people have changed their minds a little bit about this. I'm one of them because I think I've seen not that. Well, I shouldn't say I changed my mind. I see why where the ACA falls down. And that's what we were talking about a minute ago when you're in that in between area. And I hadn't seen that before. So I think that was useful for me. So I've learned something at best. One other person feels slightly differently than they did before. Is that likely? Probably not. But in a best case scenario, somehow, some way I've influenced one person to think of the Affordable Care Act differently. 
That's it. I'm not giving money to anyone. Well, I mean, I am, but you know what I mean? Like, this isn't the act of giving money to anyone. I haven't left my house. It's just another idiot shouting into the ether. It's just that this shout echoed more than most. Yeah, you're, you're catching a bit of shrapnel right now for something that's frustrating me a lot. Which is the Twitter activism? Yeah. It's fair. It's a it's a absolutely, absolutely fair criticism. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged. This type of stuff doesn't do anything. Because nope. all it does is feed to your own personal feelings. Uh, mostly, yes. It does, though, right? Like, come on. Like, even you just said, like, at best you think you might have changed two people's minds. I don't mean your feelings, the feelings of the person reading it. Ah, okay, I get you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, like, everyone that it, that follows you that, that is kind of on the left side of things reads this, and mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, that's such a great point. And everyone on the right reads it and goes, oh, he's so delusional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is how it can spread, like because people are probably retweeting it on the other side of your argument, and they're like, "Oh, look at this idiot." Yep, I agree. Right, and it's this is just like a thing that I'm just getting increasingly frustrated about due to the political climate across the world. Like, I will say that like UK and Europe is is just getting worse. Like, and I and I am not surprised that like people. I I would assume that people in the US are way less aware of this than before trump right when brexit was the big bad thing that happened in the world because you've kind of got enough of your own stuff to deal with mm-hmm. um which i will say like our stuff is kind of uncomfortable it ain't as bad as your stuff <laughs> like, i will say that like yeah i i take me i'll take brexit over uh president trump any day of the week mm-hmm. personally that's that's my own personal feeling like our country could go into a very similar uh, economic turmoil and there's also a lot of things that i don't like around nationality and race and immigration that seem to be pushing around in this country but it's maybe at like level six and you're probably at like level eight or nine right now i'd say 12 but yes <laughs> yeah but like i, I let's I say we're saying. cutting it off at 10 yeah yeah no i know what you're you saying. know but yeah, I, I'm just becoming like increasingly frustrated with angry tweets that I, all they're doing is is just being seen by the people that feel the same as you. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really. It just annoys you know. It annoys me. You know, people tweet whatever they want. I mean, I have a very elaborate set of mute filters, so don't worry about it. I don't <laughs> see most of it. And it's because it it doesn't serve anyone. Yeah, you know, like it. it like it doesn't nothing happens so like you know i'll say one you know there there are places it can go so like for example Stephen wrote that great medium post and then he got invited onto the news in memphis Mm -hmm. and he did an interview with the news and then you know maybe you know that's maybe going to get calls out a little bit wider than twitter.com right so there are good things that can come of it but like if if you're not doing anything else it's just what's what's it changing yeah doesn't change anything no it doesn't you know like and we spoke about this before like if you want to make change give some money to people that matter and or go out onto the streets and Mm -hmm. join in with peaceful protest uh i don't really know where i'm going with this and i've kind of fell into a hole that i wasn't expecting (laughs) but you're following what i'm saying that you don't have to agree with me no 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 you're you're right that this is me just shouting at people who agree with me and then it eventually echoed enough that it got to people who don't agree with me and in all likelihood everyone feels the same as they did before i shouted so if I really wanted to affect change, shouting into the into the ether is not the way to do that. I, I completely agree. I completely understand. Uh, and you're right. 
Um, but it was, it was very, if nothing else, it was an interesting case study for me on what it's like to have had something you've created gone at least slightly viral. Um, yeah. and it was, and, it, it and, was and I'll say like, you should have done it and I'm pleased you did it because like people should be talking, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not saying like people shouldn't share their feelings in, and like, I, I'm not saying don't do this, you know, like do it if you, if it means something to you, if it's important to you. But I just think there's a there's a real lot of it right now. There's a lot of threads all over the internet, and I'm not really sure if they're actually achieving anything. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, and I think I mean we can put this to bed. I don't think there's too much more to talk about. Um, there is one thing though which you called out, and I was hoping you wouldn't see this, but you did. Um, somebody tweeted at me. What, I don't know, what time was this? This was uh, 4.15 in the morning, my time. I believe they're from overseas on uh, on the next day, I believe, after I'd written my tweet. And they said, um, they, they were replying to, to me, replying to somebody who was arguing with me. So I'm, I'm in the midst of an argument. And, uh, and this person, Jonathan R., said, Casey, I agree with you, but you're arguing with eggs. Are you sure that's how you want to spend your time? <laughs> Which I thought was a phenomenal tweet and absolutely yeah. necessary. And yeah. I, I, I think I did, and I talked about this at the at the bottom of my post. I think I did okay with with what came out of this. I, I don't think I got into too many tiffs. I definitely got into a couple. I'm not. I was not perfect, but generally Nobody's speaking, perfect. Yeah, generally speaking, I just let it fly by. But um, but this person. You know, to, happened to see me in the midst of one of them and said, "You're arguing with eggs," meaning the default Twitter avatars. This is somebody who's trying to be anonymous. That not the, not the person who wrote this tweet that we're reading. You know, I was arguing with someone who was trying to be anonymous, and so the Jonathan wrote, "Casey, I agree with you, but you're arguing with eggs. You sure that's how you want to spend your time?" And I'm glad he said that. I'm glad he said it when I did because I was starting to get a little caught up in it all. And I think I saw this like first thing in the morning, if memory serves. Um, and so I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. I got to I got to relax. So I appreciate it, Jonathan. I think that was a great call. Yeah, I was just looking at what you were doing. Yeah. It seems like a bunch of people did that. That was also kind of interesting is that it appeared that people were crawling either my mentions or the mentions from the tweet and just picking fights with other randos from time to time, which was fascinating to watch. I can't imagine that's a, a particularly useful use of anyone's time, but uh, but it was interesting. I don't know. There's just so much weird stuff that goes along with this. I want to leave some time with for Relay Your Feels or at least one Relay Your Feels, so we're going we're gonna to shut up. But um, But yeah, it was just, it was very interesting. And I don't have too much more to say other than what we've said, other than what's in that blog post. But what a weird couple of days it went because it basically went from Thursday evening when I tweeted it until around about late Sunday, early Monday when it really started to peter off. And uh, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I experienced it. I'm really ticked off that I had a um, professional podcasters in it. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, it actually has three P's in opposition. O P P P O S I T I N. Yeah, I didn't either. For days, I'm looking at this tweet constantly for two days straight. And then a buddy of mine, um, the one of the, the one that we go to the tailgates with, said said something on Facebook about how um how I had had that misspelling, and I didn't even notice it until he said something. And that was the other thing, re- really quickly. Actually, I know I said we'll shut up, but it was also fascinating that I got freebooted three different times, and those freeboots also got like ten to twenty thousand uh, impre- or ten to twenty thousand like shares or likes or whatever each. So that's another like sixty thousand impressions on top of the other ones from Twitter, which was also I weird. Call, I call foul to your use of the word of the term freebooting, Why? but I get your point. Well, it, it was a uh, picture of what I've done. 
It was a picture mm-hmm. of what I've done. I guess it was attributed to me, which is, I guess, why you're, where you're taking offense, isn't it? So I have two two offenses. One, because it was actually your tweet. Like, mm-hmm. nobody stole it. Well, I guess, no, that's fair. That's fair. Two, freebooting tends to, like, uh, result in a loss of income. Mm-hmm. Like, which is not true for you. You were not, you aren't making any right. money out of it. I was tweet. waiting. I was waiting for you to uh, play the video card, and I was going to really take offense. But no, I, I I can agree with both of your points. Right, because there was no lot. You didn't lose anything. That's fair. That's fair. Just like some faves, right? And I yeah. think you got enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell me about what else is awesome. No, I my... just want to say. I just want to okay. say I, I, one last thing. Uh, I just want to apologize to you and to everyone. Why? Because I said you couldn't be political, and then I went on two separate <laughs> rampages that I was not expecting. No, so, it's fine. If you get caught up in the heat of the moment, no worries. Nobody's perfect. I don't like to be political. It's it's not something that I enjoy because it just makes me mad. It's a polarizing um, And I time. assume it makes other people mad as well, and so I apologize if I've upset anybody. This week's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, who are on a mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. Setting the highest standards for their ingredients whilst also building a community of home chefs. Each of these things is independently awesome and important, right? So the more sustainable food system is something that Blue Apron really believes in. They believe that if you cook with fresh ingredients that have come from a good place, it helps support farmers fisheries and suppliers and they have the highest quality standards for all of these so you get great food and these people get to continue doing what they do right making great food making great ingredients and also with their ingredients something that i really love is that everything's pre-proportioned i think this is such a great idea that you you only get the ingredients that you need to make the meals that they're sending you so you get everything nicely set aside so you don't have waste you don't have to go find that one thing that you're looking for and the community of home chefs you're going to become a chef when you sign up for blue apron because you'll get for just ten dollars per meal seasonal recipes or with their high quality stuff and they also give you step-by-step instruction cards as well. So you know within 40 minutes or less how to make each of those meals. That's how long it takes. Less than 40 minutes and you'll have some great food on your plates at the table for you to enjoy. You can customize your recipes based on your dietary preferences. You can choose the delivery option that fits your needs as well. There's no weekly commitment. And Blue Apron delivered to 99% of the continental US. You just get the deliveries when you want them. And you also you get to customize the food and pick it as well. So new recipes are created by Blue Apron's culinary team constantly. They're not repeated of any year. So you get to see new things every month, every week. Pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach is currently available. Or mushrooms and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. Or mixed mushroom and potato pizza with fontina cheese, spinach, and garlic oil. They're just a small selection of the delectable dishes that you'll be able to pick up as a subscriber to Blue Apron. Go and check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash analog. I'll say that again slower. Three meals for free with free shipping. BlueApron.com slash analog. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals at Blue Apron. Go to BlueApron.com slash analog today, and we thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. 
Excellent. So we've been putting off triumphant return. I know it's finally really, really feels time once again. And uh, apologies to listeners for taking so long. It's been busy. Um, Adam writes in to ask, uh, I guess mostly Mike, what does it feel like to make a living via advertising? I I don't mean any snark by this, says Adam. He's I'm assuming it's he is 100 percent genuine. I feel okay about it because my advertising is incredibly vetted. Mm-hmm. We choose every advertiser by either contacting the company and trying to work with them or by filtering the companies that come in. No ad is booked on a show on Relay FM without it going through me or Stephen. Mm-hmm. Nobody has the ability to do that. Um, if somebody else was selling my ads completely, uh, I may feel less comfortable because it's not in my control. Um but I take great care over it, and I like to believe that the hosts uh, on Relay FM feel the same because they trust us, and everybody can veto anything uh, that they want to. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, if I booked an advertiser onto uh, Top 4 and the elements were uncomfortable with that advertiser, well, then that advertiser wouldn't be on the show. Um, we've never had that happen. Yeah. Everybody knows they can do it, but we've never had it happen. So I feel really good about that. Um, The only tricky part about working uh, in uh, a field supported by advertising is just that there's uncertainty to it. You know, there are external forces that might have nothing to do with you that can control it. A company going out of business, a company losing all of its advertising budgets, like all of these things can happen. There are ebbs and flows of just interest throughout the year, just depending on calendars and when marketing budgets are re-upped and stuff like that. So there's an ebb and flow to it, but... Um, we've gotten into a pretty good groove. We know a little bit now about what to prepare for. And, uh, you know, I'll say it's like, we're, we're, like from a, a revenue perspective, we're doing really well. I'm really happy. Um, and from a advertiser perspective, I'm really happy about the companies that we're currently working with. Um, and I'm really happy about the companies that we've been able to help out. You know, we have companies at Relay FM. There's a goal of mine for last year was to be able to bring on some new advertisers that hadn't advertised anywhere else and kind of make podcast advertising a part of their marketing business. And we've been able to do that, and I've been really proud of that. So I know why it can be awkward for some, um, but I don't ever have to worry about an ad appearing which is upsetting or an ad appearing which is you know wrong. Like if we, you know, like in the web ads game, like you sell like those spaces mm-hmm. to like these ad networks, like anything can come up there. But I don't have that problem because nothing's dynamic. Every ad we've agreed and we work on it that way. So yep. I'm comfortable with it because there's there's a gatekeeper and the gatekeeper has my exact tastes. <laughs> well put. Bradley asks, uh, what's the thing from your adolescence that was most influential or that you tend to come back to most often? This was a really great question, actually. And, and um, I'll let you start, Mike. Music. Like I, the the majority of music that I listen to today came from that time. Like maybe like between the ages of like sixteen to twenty, and so I might be stretching the adolescence period out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, whatever. But like that's the stuff that I go back to mm-hmm. because music kind of helped me establish who I was as a person. Yeah. Like the type of people that I wanted to associate with, the way I dressed, the things that I did. Uh, Music kind of helped me establish myself as an adult. Um, and so I think that's what also what the one thing that I keep coming back to. Yeah, I, I would like to double down on that. Um, I, I listen to 
very different music normally than I used to at that age in my life. But that doesn't mean I don't listen to the music from that time. Like take Dave Matthews Band for a great example. I don't listen to Dave Matthews very often. We've talked about this on several shows, you and I. But I do listen to it from time to time, and I still love it. Like it's not my favorite anymore, but I still love it. And there are other things... um, like one of my favorite albums in the world is an Elton John album that I heard first as a child. And, um, and I still come back to all the time. The other thing though, I'd like to add is cars. Cars have been a constant interest for me throughout my entire life and have influenced what I do sometimes in big ways like neutral and sometimes in small ways, but that's always been a part of my life and always been something I've interested in. So yeah, music for sure. And also cars. Uh, next up, we have a question from Andy. Uh, this is not one for me, I'm afraid. Um, Andy said, Mike, you once stated that your iPhone was a window out of your stooge job. Uh, is there another world beyond your current job? And if so, what is the portal through which you glimpse it? So, I mean, I used to talk about the fact that my iPhone uh, was the way that I was able to, like, interact with technology and my friends outside. You know, like, it mm-hmm. gave me kind of the world into my other career, like, because that was where all of the stuff was happening when I was podcasting and then when Relay FM was starting. Like, all of those things were being done with my iPhone, like 100%, because I couldn't do any of it on my incredibly locked down Windows PC. <laughs> so I think now that, like, the kind of the window outside of what I am doing for a living is probably YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I look at YouTube now. Like, the way that I look at, like, YouTubers and that kind of thing is maybe, like, the way that I looked at tech, po- tech podcasting, like, five years ago. It's, like, a thing that I aspired to be a part of. Right. Like, I wanted to be in that world. And and now I also want to be in that YouTube world, right? Like, it's why I'm doing it. Like, I'm interested in not just, like, creating YouTube videos, but also, like, the culture of that. Um, and I watch more YouTube videos now than ever before. Like, and I'm I'm bring I'm like subscribing to more and more channels, um, and I and I'm consistently excited about the idea of making things for YouTube. Um, but the big difference this time, though, is this isn't because I want to leave my current job. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is that the difference here is that it's not a replacement as much as it is an and, addition, right? Fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I. I uh, that's kind of like the thing that's maybe closest to that for me now, honestly. Do you do you think of your iPhone in that way? Uh, no. Like the way I used to? Not really, no. Um, it's a little different for me because my – well, I guess maybe it's not different because both of them are, are, are through your iPhone now in, in a similar way. I used to sort of think of my iPhone that way when I was doing the Windows stuff in my prior jobs. But now that I'm doing iOS development – um, a, I'm not really looking to leave in the same way that you're not looking to leave um, your your relay gig. But B, um, it's kind of the, the iPhone is applicable to both sides of my world now, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and so a part of me will always aspire to be self employed and and my own boss and and live in the dream, right? But um, but now that I'm happier with my work. I'm not feeling that pull as strongly as I was a year ago. Well, I guess a little more than a year ago now. But um, but I, I don't yearn for that as much as I used to. I still do some, and I think I always will, but not like I used to. So, 
yeah, it's it's actually I'm in a pretty good spot right now. Knock on wood. So uh, good. I don't want to jinx it. You know, <laughs> Lincoln asks, uh, what's the single thing that someone said to you that permanently changed your way of thinking? And uh, I, I would like to fill in for Mike. It was a tweet that he read just a few days ago about the Affordable Care Act permanently. <sighs> just kidding. So what do you Get think? Mike? What do you think, Mike? All right. There's one phrase that I can think about that made the biggest impact on me at a time in my life when I need it. I don't know where, but I once heard Merlin say, probably on Back to Work, that like if you're feeling overwhelmed or worried about something, to realize that like they're not going to eat you. Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that the worst possible thing that can happen is someone trying to eat you. (laughs) <laughs> or something eating you. Right. So everything else is not as bad. And like that got me through some really tough times like at my job and and I was able to kind of like make myself feel better by reminding myself of this. And this still comes up every now and then and like um if I do something wrong or I let someone down um then I come back to that idea of like the worst thing that can happen is that this person tries to eat me and they're not going to do that. So it, I can come back from this. Right. You know? And so, yeah, I, I find that w- it's a funny phrase, but you have to like look past the joke of it and like really focus on th- what it's trying to say, which is like whatever it is that is bothering you, something worse can happen. Yeah. And that thing isn't happening so you're able to get through this. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It's something I should probably remind myself of from time to time. It's like such a great nugget. Like, it's just such a great phrase. I, I may be saying something I shouldn't hear, but, like, if I was ever going to get some words tattooed on me, mm-hmm. it might be that. Don't I, I don't really have interest for word tattoos yet. Um, but, like, it is maybe a phrase in my life that has made a bigger impact than any other. And that tends to be a reason that people get words on their body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There are two examples that I can think of for this. Um, My dad told me when I started working, I think when I started working like professionally, not when I had like little hourly jobs when I was growing up, but one way or another, he, he told me at some point something that actually my grandfather, my mom's father told him, which is interesting. So my dad heard from my mom's dad. Treat everyone around you as though they're your boss because they could be one day. <laughs> and I thought that was really, really astute. And I'm not saying yeah. that I'm not saying that grandpa came up with it, but it was the it was the origin for dad and thus the origin for me. And I don't always do the best job of that. Um, certainly at the tail end of my last job, I was not doing a good job of that at all. But I think it's a really astute um, observation that you can look at somebody that is quote unquote beneath you, which I don't really have anyone beneath me, but just for the sake of discussion, you can look at somebody that's beneath you and be like, oh, you know, these people are idiots. They shouldn't be doing that. You know, hey, go get me a soda because I can I can tell you to. Again, this is a terrible example, but you know what I'm driving at. And you never know. That person could be your boss one day. Um which is really interesting. Another um, dadism, if you will, another thing I heard from my dad all the time. Again, not an original composition, but something I heard from him or, uh, originally. A lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency, an emergency on my part, which I think is phenomenal. Um, you know, just because Mike, you didn't plan what to say today, doesn't mean that I have to worry about it. That's actually not true because you did plan what to say today. But just for the sake of the conversation, if somebody else screws up because they didn't put a plan together 
that's not my freaking problem. And granted, this works well for me because I'm super type A and I like having a plan. I like having an org- I like being organized. I like knowing what's coming. So maybe if you're type B, this sounds preposterous. But for somebody type A like me, uh, I thought that was a really good, a really good phrase. They're good ones. I like the boss one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really good. So that's all the relayer feels for today. Uh, now you can see we've actually come through on our promise to come back to it. So if you don't mind, uh, we always like seeing more relayer feels questions. So uh, please feel free. Um, please feel free to uh, send them in. Tweet with the hashtag relayyourfeels, and uh, Mike's automatical if thing will pick it up and put it in our Google spreadsheet, and we'll see it and hopefully answer it on the show. We love you all. Goodbye. Bye.